Good evening and welcome once again to our Bible study series, Out of Bondage into Abundance. Uh, we have come to the seventh and final nation in that list of seven nations that Israel had to conquer in order to go into the promised land. And if you are following along in the outline, uh, we've come to page 134. And for those that might just be joining us, all of the notes and the recordings for previous sessions in this study are all available at our website, and that is new-life-ministries.org. And again, the title of this series is Out of Bondage into Abundance. We are in part six of what will be seven parts and as I mentioned, we've been looking for some time now at the list of seven enemy nations that Israel needed to conquer. These nations were living in the Promised Land, in the land of Canaan. Very interesting scenario that the land that God promised Abraham and his descendants, that rich, wonderful land flowing with milk and honey, a fruitful land, a land with riches and just a wonderful place, from the beginning God was also preparing them for the fact that these enemies were living there and they would eventually have to face these enemies, conquer them and drive them out. And as we've been seeing, this whole story of Israel coming out of Egypt and going into the promised land is a picture of our journey with Jesus Christ, we come out of the bondage of sin and we travel through the wilderness of this world and ultimately we're looking for our heavenly home, which is the final resting place. But even before then, Jesus spoke of an abundant life in the Holy Spirit, a life that is abundant because of the promises of God. Canaan was called the promised land. And as we enter into and possess the promises of God, we are literally entering in to that promised inheritance. Now, let's get right down to business here. This seventh and last nation, all seven of which were listed there in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the first three verses, this one is often mentioned last in the lists. There are a number of lists in the Old Testament, and you can look that up in the notes. I think it's on page 121. We gave a number of references there where all of these nations are listed. Very interestingly, in most of those lists, this nation which we are about to look at tonight is the last one in the list. And again, there are no coincidences, there are no accidents in the Word of God. Every word of God is inspired. Even the, the little punctuation marks, Jesus said, are inspired. Every jot and tittle is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God will endure forever. Heaven and earth will pass away before even one of those little punctuation marks can be lost or changed. So, 
As you study the Bible, learn to recognize that everything is there for a purpose. There's no extra or extraneous information in in the Bible. It's all there for a reason. And even some of the most obscure passages that don't seem to make any sense, a day will come when the Holy Spirit suddenly shines his light on that one verse, and voila, you get a revelation and an inspiration comes into your life because of that scripture. Well, even the fact that this seventh nation is usually mentioned last, I believe is inspired. And we'll explain more about that in a minute. First of all, the seventh nation, they are called the Jebusites. And as in each case, we've tried to look at any details that are given in the scriptures about where that nation lived, what their habits were, and even what their name might have meant in the original Hebrew. And certainly in this case, the name is extremely significant, and it seems to match exactly with some of the activities which we are going to find also mentioned in the scriptures surrounding this seventh nation. The Jebusites. The Hebrew name literally means trampled down, trodden down, or polluted. Very interesting. Trampled down, trodden down, or polluted. And indeed, not only were they mentioned last in the lists, but looking at it from a historical standpoint, the Jebusites were the final stronghold of those seven enemy nations to be conquered, and they were only conquered during the reign of King David. It took a long time before these Jebusites were finally defeated and completely driven out. Let's look at a couple of passages now that mention the Jebusites, and specifically, let's see how King David finally overcame them, and we're going to find very interestingly also where the Jebusites lived, highly significant. Let's look first in 1 Chronicles 11, chapter 11 of 1 Chronicles, verses 4 to 7. It says, David and all the Israelites marched to Jerusalem, that is, Jebus. The Jebusites who lived there said to David, You will not get in here. Nevertheless, David conquered the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. David had said, Whoever leads the attack on the Jebusites will become commander-in-chief. Joab, son of Zeruiah, went up first, and so he received the command. David then took up residence in the fortress, and so it was called the city of David. So, from the days of Joshua, all the way up to this point in King David's life, these Jebusites had not been conquered. 
and their stronghold was by no accident or coincidence in what was destined to become the city of David and even the city of God, Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. And notice very interestingly, this was a big deal to finally be able to conquer, drive out these Jebusites, and take over the city which they had inhabited for all those years. So important was it to conquer these Jebusites that David promised, whoever can attack these guys and overcome them will become my commander-in-chief. And Joab, a very highly motivated man, he's an interesting character to study, Uh, we won't do that tonight, but he was very motivated to get that position, so he went up first, conquered the Jebusites, and he became the commander of all of David's armies. Notice again in verse 4, David and all the Israelites marched to Jerusalem, and then in parentheses it says, that is Jebus. So before it was called Jerusalem, the Jebusites, this was their center of power and control, they called this stronghold Jebus. The Jebusites who lived there, notice what they said to David, you will not get in here. You will not get in here. Nevertheless, David captured, not only was this place destined to become Jerusalem, it would ultimately be named Zion, the fortress of Zion, the city of David. Now, the Jebusites who lived in this fortified city, we learn a couple of other interesting details in some other scriptures. Look in Judges chapter 19, and we'll read verses 10 and 11. Judges 19, 10 and 11. It says, But unwilling to stay another night, the man left and went toward Jebus, that is, Jerusalem, with his two saddled donkeys and his concubine. When they were near Jebus, and the day was almost gone, the servant said to his master, Come, let's stop at this city of the Jebusites and spend the night. So very clearly, what was to become Jerusalem, previously known as Jebus, it was the stronghold of this enemy nation, the Jebusites. And again, remember the meaning of their name, trampled down, trodden down, or polluted. Putting all this together, and I think you'll see it even more clearly in the next uh, scripture we're going to read, we're taking the Jebusites to represent discouragement and depression. This spirit tramples us down. It, it treads down upon us, and it, it pollutes us, it defiles us, it 
the, the primary meaning is to press down. And we get words like oppression, depression. Um, that's the essence of the meaning of the name. It's something that presses you down, tramples you, uh, treads upon you. Now, let's look in Second Samuel at Samuel's account of David's conquering of these Jebusites. It's a little bit of a different uh, rendering here. Second Samuel 5, verses 6 to 9. It says, The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, You will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought, David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. On that day, David had said, Anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. That is why they say the blind and lame will not enter the palace. David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the terraces inward. The Jebusites, apparently, up until this time, had been very successful in discouraging any other Israelite attack upon their stronghold. And notice the very voice of the Jebusites, you will not get in here. You will not get in here. David cannot get in here. That's the voice of the Jebusites. It's a discouraging voice. It's a voice that whispers in your ear and in my ear, and it says, you cannot. You won't. You won't succeed. You won't prosper. You won't overcome. You're not going to make it. And notice this treading down, this discouraging, disparaging kind of language that comes forth from the Jebusites. Let me read this again. You will not get in here. Even the blind and lame can ward you off. You're so weak. You're so inept. You're so pathetic. Even the blind and lame can defeat you, David. You're no good. You'll never prosper. You'll never overcome us. You'll never succeed. David cannot get in here. I don't know. I think it's very significant that this is the last stronghold of these seven enemy nations to go. It's a tough one to overcome. And we're going to see in a little while so many times in the scriptures, God says, don't be discouraged. Don't get discouraged. Be courageous. You can do all things through Christ. Don't get down. Don't be depressed. 
Don't be oppressed. So this enemy is one I think we need to study very carefully because at some point in our spiritual journey, we're all going to have to face the Jebusites. We're all going to be faced with that voice saying, you can't, you won't, you're no good, you're so weak, even a blind or a lame Jebusite can defeat you. David cannot get in here. And this refrain about the blind and the lame, I think it's very significant. The Jebusites were the ones saying that. You will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. But David also began to say, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those, and in quotes, lame and blind, who are David's enemies. So David turned it around and referred to the Jebusites as being lame and blind. And then it goes on to say, that is why they say the blind and lame will not enter the palace. Now, spiritually speaking, there's a lot in the Bible about blindness and lameness. Of course, blindness refers to the loss of sight. Lameness refers to some crippling, something that has affected a person's ability to walk. So the vision and the walk are both affected by this Jebusite spirit. And really, if you analyze it, isn't that the heart of the attack of discouragement? It clouds your vision, it messes up your whole view of things, and if you're not careful, it can even affect your walk. It can cripple you, it can paralyze you, and prevent you from doing the things that God has called you to do. Now, let's look a little bit more at these two aspects, the blind and the lame. Blindness is mentioned often in the Bible, both literal blindness and, more importantly, spiritual blindness. I'm going to say something that might sound contrary to the Scriptures, but I think I'll be able to show you that it's not. Seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. Faith is actually what gives us vision. And when you lose faith, you lose your vision. So, spiritual blindness can actually be equated with a loss of faith. How do we know that? Well, in the famous faith chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, we need go no further than verse 1. Hebrews 11, 1, listen to it carefully. Faith is the substance of of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So there are unseen things, unseen realities, but faith brings them into view. Faith gives them substance. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you're hoping for something, it hasn't happened yet. It, you can't see it literally because it's a future event. But faith gives that future event substance. And it gives evidence of things that you still cannot see in the natural. Let's look also in Second Peter chapter 1. Here Peter makes a reference to spiritual blindness. Second Peter 1 verses 8 through 10. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that's what the Jebusite spirit ultimately wants to do in your life and mine. Render us ineffective and unproductive. Ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. I've put two portions of that in bold in the notes for a reason. Notice he mentions both blindness and stumbling. Blind and lame. When you're lame, you stumble, you're crippled, you can't walk correctly. He says that if you don't press on in your growth in Christ and possess all of those qualities that he lists uh, earlier in the first chapter of Second Peter, faith and goodness and all those other things, if you don't pursue those things, you're nearsighted and blind, forgetting that you have been cleansed from your sins, and if you're not careful to make your calling and election sure, he says you're in danger of stumbling. If you do these things, you will never stumble. So there seems to be a connection between our walk and our vision. Of course, we walk by faith and not by sight, not by physical sight, but we have this spiritual ability to be able to see. Obviously, you can't walk if you're blind. You're going to be banging into walls and stepping into gutters and even tripping over cliffs. So if you're walking by faith, obviously you're seeing where you're going, but it's a different kind of seeing. Now, Let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, the Laodicean church, the last of the seven churches, Revelation 3, verses 14 to 18. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, 
I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, and here it comes, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. Now, if you're at all familiar with Revelation 2 and 3, these are seven messages addressed to the messengers of these seven different churches. So these are obviously Christians that are being spoken about here. And this particular group of Christians, the Laodicean church, they had become lukewarm. They were no longer on fire for God, nor were they dead cold like a sinner, but lukewarm. And we learn some more things about them. They were very deceived. They were saying, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. And listen to this. I do not need a thing. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a state to come to as a Christian. Oh, I don't need anything. I don't need God, I don't need prayer, I don't need help, I got it made. I got plenty of money, I'm rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. My friend, if you think money is the answer to everything, you better pay attention to what Jesus says here. Jesus says, you do not realize. They, they were so deceived, so deluded, by the riches of wealth, they didn't even realize their true condition. What was their true condition? Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. They were blind, and they didn't even know it. And his counsel to them is to buy from me gold refined in the fire. That should immediately bring to your mind 1 Peter chapter 1, where it talks about gold that goes through trials. It's refined by fire, refined faith he's talking about. You need new faith. You need a faith that's like gold refined in the fire so you can become truly rich. Not rich in material things, rich in faith. James tells us God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. The gold of faith is what they lacked. That's what they needed. And, by the way, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but the way to overcome the Jebusite spirit is always going to be through faith. The Jebusites say, you cannot, Faith responds, yes, I can. I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens me. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve. It's like an ointment to put on your eyes so you can see. The blind and the lame, the blind and the lame Jebusites, it speaks about certain things that can happen to us as Christians that invite this spirit of discouragement. We start to lose our faith life. We start to grow lukewarm. We start to lose our vision. We start to look more to wealth and material things and the things of this world. And our vision starts to come down, and we don't realize it, but it's also affecting our walk. Remember, it's blind and lame. Look at the next scripture that mentions this. Hebrews 12, these are all New Testament scriptures. Hebrews 12, 11 to 13. It says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time. <clears throat> Nobody likes to be disciplined. Nobody likes punishment. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Notice that last part, weak knees. Verse 13, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So a very clear reference here to weak knees leading to lameness and disability unless a healing takes place. And it's interesting, I want to read verse 12 there again, Hebrews 12.12 12 from the Amplified. This is in your notes if you are following there. It says, So then... Brace up and reinvigorate and set right your slackened and weakened and drooping hands and strengthen your feeble and palsied and tottering knees. <laughs> what a picture. Drooping hands and tottering knees. These are all the symptoms of a Jebusite attack. Listen to me carefully. We were once full of vigor, doing things for the Lord, busy in the Lord's work. Our hands were put to the plow and we weren't looking back. We were pressing on, winning souls, preaching the gospel, doing the Lord's will, and our knees were strong, we were strong in prayer, and our walk was strong, we were walking uprightly, we were running the race, as it says earlier here in Hebrews 12, but now the hands are drooping, and the knees, the legs, the walk has become feeble 
and palsied and tottering. This is what the Jebusite spirit wants to do to the Christian. Discourage him or her, trample them down, mostly in the spirit, trampling them down, beating them down inside with discouraging thoughts, I'm no good, I can't make it, I can't do anything, and ultimately what happens? The hands begin to droop. We're not doing anything anymore. Blindness begins to set in. We've lost our vision. And ultimately, the, the knees, the legs, the walk is affected. Now, as I mentioned a little earlier, God knew this was going to be the last nation for the Israelites to overcome. He also knew that it's a very difficult enemy for us to conquer. And that's why so many passages, I just picked out a few, literally there are many more, but I've devoted a whole page in the notes here, and I want to go through all of these, and you might even want to write a few of these in the leaf of your Bible and quote them regularly, because, you know... The Bible says to encourage one another daily. What does that imply? (laughs) It implies we get discouraged daily. I don't know about you. I got discouraged today. I got discouraged yesterday. But I didn't leave myself in that condition. That's the key. We need to know how to get out of that discouragement quickly. And some of these scriptures on page 136 of the notes, will help you and me when this spirit tries to beat us down. God knew discouragement was going to be a regular, probably a daily event in most of our lives. We would all have to face it, and we would have to know how to conquer it. And basically, you'll find a common thread in every single one of these passages that we're going to read, do not be discouraged. Well, if nothing discouraging is happening, why would God have to say that so often? He must have known discouraging things would be coming down the pike. And I I happen to believe it's pretty much every day. All right, here we go. Deuteronomy God knew the Israelites were going to get discouraged. This was no easy task. Going all the way from Egypt, through the wilderness, into the promised land, once you get there, you've got these seven enemy nations to conquer. He knew they were going to get discouraged, so he repeatedly tells them this. Deuteronomy 1, 21. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. He already promised this to you. It's already done. Therefore, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Deuteronomy 31, and verse 8. The Lord himself goes before you, and will be with you. He will never leave you 
nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. We're going to come back to this a little later when we look more specifically at how to overcome discouragement and depression, but this already gives us a big clue here. The Lord is with you. The Lord will go before you. The Lord will be with you, and He will never leave you. That ultimately is the basis for our encouragement. Let me tell you something. Life would be very discouraging without the Lord. I don't care. You can try every self-help book in the, in the library. It's not going to help you get out of discouragement unless you know that you know that you know that the Lord is with you. He's in your life. He's fighting your battles. He's going before you. He's behind you. He's never going to leave you. That is the ultimate victory over all discouragement. God is in my life. God is with me. He's never going to depart. Now, Joshua. You know, God chose Joshua to take over after Moses' death, and he was the commander responsible for taking them in to the promised land to conquer these seven enemy nations. And you might have a view in your mind, maybe from Sunday school books or videos or cartoons or things that you may have seen of, you know, this big burly macho uh, guy with a beard and big muscles and, you know, here comes Joshua, the commander of the armies. Well, I get a little different take from scriptures like this next one that we're going to read. I think the guy was very weak and very prone to discouragement. Look at how God has to speak to him, not just once, but on other occasions as well as this. Look in Joshua 1, at the very beginning when he's first called to this great task, Joshua 1, from verse 6 to 9. Be strong and courageous. He doesn't say, Joshua, I chose you because you're already strong and courageous. No. Be strong. Be courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Have you ever noticed God repeats himself sometimes? Maybe we're a little hard of hearing. Maybe we just need to hear it a second time. But Okay, I got that, Lord. Be strong and courageous. Verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Okay, got that. Second time. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. We're already getting another hint, another insight into how to overcome discouragement. You have to be in the Word. You have to be not only reading the Bible, studying the Bible, but obeying the Bible. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. No compromise. 
Don't turn to the right or to the left. Verse 8, keep this book of the law. We might expect it to say, in your mind, or maybe in your heart, in your consciousness, and certainly all that's important, but that's not what God says. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Keep it in your mouth. Keep speaking it. Keep quoting it. Keep confessing it. Keep declaring the word of God. It implies you've got it in your heart and in your mind. Otherwise, how could it also be on your lips? Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Let it be in your thoughts, in your meditation, continually, day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Now, in case Joshua didn't get it the first time, maybe he even missed it the second time, here it comes again. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Personally, I don't think God would have spent this much time going over this again and again and again with Joshua if he didn't already know Joshua very well. He must have known this young man was going to have battles with discouragement. He was going to feel like, wow, how can I ever fill Moses' shoes? How can I ever measure up to this mighty leader that has now departed, and I've got to take over this two and a half million, uh, at least, number of Israelites. It was a daunting and discouraging task. So God addresses it three times. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. And by the way, don't get discouraged. Don't let the opposite of courage come into your heart. Discouragement. A little later on, God visits the same issue again with Joshua. Joshua 8, verse 1. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Starts to sound like a broken record. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you. This is right after uh, the mighty victory at Jericho, but it's after their defeat at Ai. It was a very discouraging defeat. So what does God say? Don't be discouraged. Take the whole army with you. Go up and attack Ai, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Don't be discouraged. I'm going to be with you. I've already delivered the enemies into your hands. A little further in time, Second Chronicles 20, verse 17. In the days of King Jehoshaphat, 
They were being attacked from all sides. Innumerable armies of enemies were attacking them. And here's what God says. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow. Here's the same reason why the Lord will be with you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. The Lord will be with you. A little further in time, Second Chronicles 32 and verse 7. Be strong and courageous. Where have we heard that? Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. In all of these cases, the Israelites were faced with what seemed to be uh, impossible odds against them. Nations that are stronger than them, armies that outnumber them, trials, problems, challenges that are beyond their ability. This is the typical scenario for discouragement. And it's in that very situation that God comes repeatedly and says, be courageous, be strong, don't be discouraged, for something even greater than the problem is with you. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. They that are with us are more than they who are against us. If the Lord is on our side, who can be against us? All these scriptures we find throughout both the Old and New Testaments, it's basically saying one simple thing. God is with you. It doesn't matter how big the challenge is. Don't get discouraged. By the way, I've given a note here at the bottom. In all of the references that we just read, the word that's translated there, discouraged, do not be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. The word that's translated is the Hebrew word, chataph, which literally means, listen to this carefully, to prostrate or break down, to beat down, discourage, or dismay. Remember the meaning of Jebusite is to trample down, to tread down. That's what the word discourage in Hebrew means. To break down, to prostrate, to flatten you on the ground, to lay you out, we would say, to beat you down, to break you down. And this spirit, if you and I give room to it, it'll go on whispering in your ear, you're no good, God doesn't love you, God's not with you, His promises aren't going to work in your life, in your situation, the Lord's not going to help you. You're going to go out and try to face this enemy, and he's going to flatten you. You can't defeat this thing. You might as well quit. You might as well give up. 
And if we listen to that voice, its ultimate intent is to break us down, break down our confidence, break down our faith, beat us down to a place where we are prostrate, we're useless. Like we read earlier in Hebrews, our hands are now just hanging limp at our sides, our knees are tottering, and we're lame. This is a demonic attack. And let me tell you, there are demons of discouragement. Let, I speak from experience. I know. I know these are demonic spirits that come to beat you down. They come to depress you. They come to knock down your faith and your courage. And yes, they can ultimately give you a nervous breakdown. That's their intent, to break you down, discourage you, beat you down, bring that feeling of dismay. Oh, this is hopeless. We're never going to make it. We're never going to get out of this one. My kids are never going to get saved. This backslider is never coming back to the Lord. Never say never. God can do anything. He has proven that to our little church over and over and over. How many times we have faced what seemed to be impossible odds, impossible challenges, and then God shows up and He does the impossible. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No. So stop being discouraged. Stop letting this Jebusite spirit break us down, beat us down, and discourage us. Um, the, the Jebusite spirit, that trampling, treading down spirit, it's an oppression and it brings depression. It beats down our hope. It beats down our faith, and eventually we're rendered useless in the service of the Lord. We quit. We basically give up. We throw in the towel, and we say, that's it. I'm done. Now, let me just give you a preview, because we're about out of time. Next time, we're going to look in a lot of detail, again, because this one's a toughie. For us to really overcome, we got to get a lot of scripture under our belt here to know how to deal with this thing. We're going to look at seven different ways to overcome the Jebusite spirit, this spirit of discouragement and depression. Let me just give you an outline of what we're going to look at. First thing we're going to look at, we need to be full of hope. We need to abound in hope. Remember, the Jebusite spirit wants to beat us down, make us feel hopeless. So we have to know how to build ourselves up in hope, to abound in hope. The Bible talks about putting on the helmet of the hope of salvation. No soldier would ever go to battle without a helmet protecting his head. Well, in this spiritual battle, our head has to be protected with the hope of salvation. So we're going to look at a lot of scriptures that talk about hope. God is the God of hope. His word, his promises 
breathe hope into our lives. The second area we're going to look at, remember, the Jebusites were not always told in the scriptures where some of these enemies lived. We did learn some details about a few of them. The Canaanites lived by the sea. The Perizzites lived in the woods and the forests. But some of them we don't really know too much about where they live. But God was very careful to give us details about the Jebusites. They lived in what was to become Jerusalem, the city of God. So, along with abounding in hope, the second area we're going to look at is have a vision of the heavenly Jerusalem. The New Testament talks about a heavenly city of God. It's called the New Jerusalem. And that needs to be our goal, our hope. We need a vision. Remember, the blind and lame will not go there. We need a vision of the heavenly Jerusalem. So we're going to look at a number of scriptures that talk about that city of God, the the heavenly Jerusalem. Thirdly, only David was able to conquer the Jebusites. David, the, the, literally the Hebrew name David, means love or loving. Only love could conquer the Jebusites. And we saw that the Laodiceans had become blind because they'd become lukewarm. Their love for God had cooled off. They had lost that first love, that fire, that passion for Jesus. So a third area we're going to look at to help us to conquer the Jebusite discouraging spirit is to stay in love with Jesus. Stay on fire for Jesus. Be like David, passionate in love with the Lord God. Fourthly, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, a fourth way that we're going to need to work at this is to help each other. There are days when some of us are up and some of us are down, and a few days later, the tables have turned. The one that was down is now up, and the one that is up is now down. This happens regularly in a marriage. There are days when the husband's up, the wife is down. A few days later, the wife is up and the husband's down. That's why the Bible says, encourage one another daily. Daily. There aren't too many things mentioned in the New Testament that we are to do every single day. This is one of them. And I've, I've meditated on this a lot. If we need to be encouraging one another daily, there must be an attack of discouragement coming every day. Encourage one another daily. And I'll tell you another thing I've learned, both in my own personal experience and in dealing with other spiritual leaders, pastors, prophets, apostles, great men and women of God. I'll tell you what, they all get discouraged. They all get discouraged. The greatest of the great 
They have their bad days. They have their low times. So don't think, oh, just because that pastor preaches with fire on Sunday and he's so full of the Holy Spirit or she's always she always seems to be so up and so positive. Don't think for a minute that that person doesn't have their own bouts with discouragement. We all have to face this thing. It's common to man. That's why we need to encourage one another. And another scripture says, more and more as you see the day approaching. (laughs) So not only are we to be doing this every day, but as we're getting closer to the coming of the Lord, things are going to be darker and more discouraging. Amen? Yes, the world is getting more screwed up every day. And if you look at the world, if you listen even to a little bit of the news, my God, it is so depressing, so discouraging. So all the more we need to be encouraging one another. Brother, be strong in the Lord. Be encouraged. Jesus is coming soon. You're going to make it. He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He that is on our side is greater than the one who's against us. God will never leave us nor forsake us. I can do all things through Christ, and so can you. So, encouraging one another is an area we're going to spend some time with. A fifth way to overcome discouragement Well, what if nobody calls you to encourage you? What if step four fails and there's no one around to encourage you? Well, you need to go to step five, encourage yourself. Learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. And you do that through the scriptures. I just quoted a few of them. You need to learn these scriptures by memory so that when you start feeling down you start feeling a little bit discouraged. They just come second nature out of your mouth. God will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. I know the Lord is on my side. If God is for us, who can be against us? I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loves me. Thanks be unto God who always causes me to triumph in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we're going to look at a whole bunch of scriptures that God has given to us, promises that we can use to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We don't have to wait for somebody else to come and pat us on the back. Encourage yourself in the Lord. That's what King David did. A sixth area we're going to look at, put on the garment of praise. This goes along with encouraging yourself, But start singing to the Lord. Start praising God. There's a a, a marvelous promise in the scriptures how the garment of praise actually breaks the spirit of heaviness. Very clear reference to that Jebusite spirit, that spirit that wants to beat us down, make us feel heavy, make us feel depressed and discouraged. Put on the garment of praise. Start praising God. Start singing unto the Lord. Start testifying out loud in praises to God. Thanking the Lord. Praising Him. Worshiping Him for who He is. And the seventh area we're going to look at, 
stay filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. A yoke was something heavy that they put around the necks of oxen. It was to restrain them, and it weighed them down. It, it hindered their freedom and their movement. There are yokes of depression and oppression that the enemy tries to put around our necks. We can defeat those things just by praying in the Spirit, getting filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts 10 that Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. How did he do that? It says how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. It's the anointing that can break oppressions and break that spirit of heaviness. Let's close in prayer for tonight, and then next time we're going to look more carefully at each one of these seven areas where we can overcome discouragement, the Jebusite spirit. Let's pray. Father God, you are a God of eternal hope and eternal discouragement, of eternal encouragement. It's the devil that wants to come and break us down with depression, with discouragement, with hopelessness, and with despair. And Lord, especially in these last days, as darkness, greater and greater darkness, gross darkness, is coming upon the earth and even upon the peoples, as was prophesied by Isaiah. We need more and more to know how to defeat and overcome this spirit of the Jebusites, this discouraging, treading down, blind and lame spirit of the Jebusites. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would equip us with every weapon, with everything that we need to walk in victory, treading under our feet every spirit of the Jebusites, knowing that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, knowing that we can do all things through Christ. And whenever we hear that Jebusite voice saying, you cannot, you will not, you're no good, Lord, that we will know how to answer back with the very Word of God. Lord, you told Joshua not to let the Word of the Lord depart from his mouth, because that is how he's going to stay strong and courageous, by confessing the very Word, the promises that you had given to him, and by extension to us. Lord, I thank you. And I praise you because indeed we are more than conquerors. And we give thanks and praise to you tonight because we can triumph in every situation. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Lord, encourage every listener tonight. Encourage our hearts and minds. Most importantly, to know that you are with us, that you will never leave us, 
you will never forsake us. You'll be with us until the very end of the age. Lord, bless each and every one now. Keep us under the blood of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, until you return in glory for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.